you have children with your narcissist? Are you staying in the relationship for the kids, for the sake of the kids, so that they see a normal family? Today, my guest, Alana Sharps, is going to talk about her book and talk about what she learned that she didn't know was going on with her children and her ex-husband. She stayed for the kids. I stayed for the kids. I didn't know what was really happening behind closed doors with my son and my ex. She didn't know either. Today, we want to show you how it happens and how you can protect yourself. My name is Tracy Malone. I am the founder of NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. I am the author of Divorcing Your Narcissist. You can't make this shit up. And let's welcome Alana. And we're going to talk about her book, Was It My Fault? The Abuse Survivor Story and Guide for Navigating Narcissistic Red Flags. She actually has cute little red flags in it. Um, let's welcome her and see the unintended consequences when we stay. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. I cannot tell the world enough. I read your book. Was it my fault? And I'm kind of confess right here. I'm not a huge fan of this is my story books because I've read so many that it's hard for me to read them. And I could not put your book down. Like it literally obsessed me. Like it was a novel I wanted to read on the beach. I was worried about you when I went to bed. I would wake up and go, let me check. It's like, it's like watching a, a, a you know, YouTube a movie. Mm -hmm. and like what's going to happen tomorrow? It was like so spot on. It is educational in addition to being your story. I love what you did. I don't know if I can find a page, but there's these cute little red flags. Here we go, everybody. Just like, boom, there's a red flag, right? In the yeah. middle of it, you're like, oh, that's what it was. It's brilliantly done. So tell Thanks. everyone a little bit about yourself and how you came to write this book, and then we'll get into the topic today. Sure. So I am a high conflict divorce and child custody consultant. And how I decided to take the direction into that form of work, sorry, is because of my own experience and living with a narcissist and divorcing a narcissist. So I was married to a narcissist for 16 years, experienced narcissistic abuse, as well as my children. And when I left the relationship, what I was not prepared for was the post-separation abuse that followed. No one prepares you for it. I thought once I left that I was going to be free to start my life. But no, I went into a different form of abuse. So it was during that time that I started trying to heal myself by doing therapeutic journaling, um, exercising, eating well, just trying to heal my body and go in another direction because I had my children to take care of. Mm -hmm. And through my therapeutic journals and sharing my story with others, I started getting asked, how did you get out? I was in a similar relationship. I don't know how to get out. And all of these questions made me think, hey, why don't I just share my story and tell people the steps that I took to get out and how I healed myself out of after getting out of the relationship. Yeah. And you did it eloquently. As I said, everybody, I'm going to hold up the book again. Was it my fault? Um, it is going to be something that's going to really change your life. So uh, again, it's 
you know, people will get really, they get benefit from hearing other people's story. That's why they listen to us on YouTube, right? Right. Um, I'm not alone. Someone else had that happen, right? Right. But yours is, is, is done in a unique way and it just takes you through the steps. And today we're going to talk about sort of the unintended consequences of staying for the kids. Yes. And, you know, you and I both had these horrific you know, relationships, last divorce. And, um, you know, I also saw in the end that staying for the kids isn't a, a wise choice, but let's start off by talking about what was your daily life like with him? And then we'll get into the kids because it paints the picture of the crazy. And, and that's what I want people to hear. Right. And even though my life was crazy, it was my normal. So I got used to that being my life. My life was composed of walking on eggshells all day long from the moment I woke up on into this, my sleep because he wouldn't allow me to sleep. My days when my oldest son was home was trying to protect him from my ex, trying to make sure that my ex wasn't overly critical and always constantly complaining about something that my child did. My oldest child is not my ex's son, biological son, and it seemed like he always stayed on him and put pressure on him for no reason while his biological children could do whatever they wanted. So I was in constant mom mode, but at the same time, I was also trying to survive my own relationship, the constant gaslighting, the calling of names, the narcissistic rage if he didn't get his way. It could be something so simple as, hey, I would like to go to the park today. Well, I want to do something else. And I think we should all stay home. You know, something as simple as that. And then in the nighttime, when I wanted to go to bed, if I didn't offer to have sex with him, oh my gosh, narcissistic rage. And he would keep me up until 4 a.m. And I had to get up at 6 a.m. to go to work complaining about me, telling me I was a bad person, calling me all kinds of names simply because I didn't want to be intimate with him. Who wants to be intimate with someone that constantly puts you down and calls you names? He didn't understand that. He just felt that it was my wifely duty to be there and let him do what he wanted to me whenever he wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the part of the book that there's sexual abuse, there's coercive control, and it's just downright torture. I mean, yes. the stories of her, everybody who's listening, of her being like gone to sleep and being woken up and being berated and, and yelled at for 10 hours all night long every night like and and there were times when you try to leave we'll get into that later people always go why didn't they leave was it my fault right it's the same sort of thing we we're going to talk about why you stayed as we all do for our children and think we're giving them a better life um so i want to start with your oldest son when you guys met you had a child how old was he and and how was your your husband um how was he right he wasn't he was still your boyfriend at that he time how was he with your son so my son was one and a half at the time and when i finally introduced him to my ex-husband my ex was perfect mm -hmm. he loved him or he appeared to love him very much he played with him all the time he would actually come up with ideas of different activities we could go to and do with my son he just 
came right in and helped really carry the load for me because as a single mom at the time, I was doing everything and I was exhausted. So it was very comforting to have someone come in and take the time to spend with my son while I did dishes or cooked or something like that and just show that he really cared for him. And that hooked your heart, didn't it? It did. He knew the strings to pull. He really did. It's a different kind of love bombing when you're a single mom and, and my second, my narc husband um, was not my son's father either. And like his father worked weekends, never went to baseball games, never did the things I wanted a father to do. And yet here's stepdaddy to be stepping up going, I'll be there. In fact, it was six months into our relationship and my son was about eight then. My Second husband threw him an $8,000 party for 10 eight-year-olds. I mean, he bought like nine fog machines. He bought remote control witches that you could talk through with a, you know, for a haunted house. I mean, it was crazy. I'm like, what are you doing? I just love him so much. And I'm just like, wow. Like it just stole my heart and said, this is the person that I wanted my son to have as a father. Was that how you were as well? That's how I was as well. I thought that he would be the perfect father to my son because my son's biological father was not involved. So he didn't really have a dad figure. And here comes this man that's doing everything right, that's spending time with my son, that's playing games with him, teaching him things. He was perfect. Yeah. And how how were your in-laws at the beginning? My in-laws did not like me at all. My ex-husband is Caucasian and they are from small town, you know, and I can't say the state <laughs> and they just, uh, it, it's not very diverse. And because of my skin color, it was a no-no. Wow. So, so see, there's another contrast. And the reason guys, I'm like kind of building it with her story. My story is because we both had similar experiences that we're going to open up in a few minutes, but my in-laws were completely the opposite. Like we were their children. Like I was adopted immediately before I even married him to like, you're our daughter. If he ever breaks up with you, we're going to stay with you and kick him out. Like he, this is their grandson and they're, he's on their lap and like they adopted us instantly. But the flip later was the, the sociopath, you're evil and all these other things. So like the difference you had consistent, you didn't like them the whole time or they didn't like you right. and crying and you kept forcing the relationship and trying and trying and they could just never move the bar. So um, again, we're, we're setting the tone here, everyone, for the situation that we're going to describe. So in the beginning, your son was the greatest thing. He hooked you into marrying him because that was part of it. Like it's definitely without it right now. In comes the relationship, yep. And the relationship moved very quickly, right? Because that's the other thing narcissists do. They mm -hmm. want to move quickly and hook you in before you realize what you're dealing with. Absolutely. I mean, I was six months in how, how fast did it before you got married to him? We were engaged within six months and then married the next year. So again, there's a, there's a commonality We're we're flying here. That's why your book was like, oh my God, it's my life. Um, yes. Now you're, you're getting married a year and a half later. He's still pretty nice to your son. You have a daughter. 
I have a daughter and really things started changing when I was pregnant with my daughter because I was extremely sick. I had a very rare pregnancy condition called hyperemesis gravidarum, and that entails chronic nausea and vomiting. So I could barely take care of myself, more or less take care of my son. And I would reach out to him at work on certain days where I was just sitting over the toilet for hours and I needed help and he wouldn't come home. And he would just tell me like, well, why don't you call such and such? And it would be a person I just met two weeks prior. Why don't you call such and such and have them come over? And I never understood why can't you come home? Like, I'm telling you, I'm deathly sick. I can't take care of my son and I need your help. Mm -hmm. And when he got home that evening, he says to me, I don't understand why you're not happy about your pregnancy. There are a few women at work that are pregnant and they are just glowing and so happy about their pregnancy. And you're just sad and sick all the time. As if that was your choice. <laughs> if that was my choice. Wow. Yes. So, so that's probably the pinnacle turning point um, that, that things really, I mean, you saw a completely different person from the helpful, kind, loving person to that was the, the narc injury. Maybe it was about responsibility, who knows, but he had no empathy for you. Zero empathy for me. And once my daughter was born, his first biological child, his attention completely shifted to her. So my son that he once showed all of his attention to and love bombed and loved bombed me, we got neglected, she got the shine. Wow. Yep, and as the children got older, they went into that interesting dynamic of scapegoat and golden child. So my daughter became the golden child and my oldest son became the scapegoat. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And how did, how did that change in your son's life? Cause at first he was, he was the golden, he was the only, but he had attention. He had love. He got attention. What, what was it like for him? Right. So when that first started to occur, he was four years old at the time. So he didn't really understand it. He just knew things were different, but he didn't understand it. And then as he constantly started to get blamed for things that he didn't do or, you know, get ragged on because he didn't do something a particular way. And again, he's like four or five years old, you know, I think he started to internalize mm -hmm. that hurt and it started to surface when he got into middle school. That's when he started acting out. That's when he started talking back to teachers, not doing his work. And that continued on into high school. Wow. So behavioral issues because yeah. he almost attacked at, at home. Um, by the time he was in middle school, wasn't there a third child? Yes. When I had my third child, my daughter, who had been receiving all of this love and attention, had competition. Mm. So my daughter disliked the third child. And my ex started shifting all of the attention he was giving to my daughter to the third child. Mm -hmm. So not only did you have division between my husband and I on different occasions, but he also divided the children. Mm. They divide and conquer. So he'll say one thing to one child and another thing to another to keep the children thinking that that child is against them or talking about them or doing something to get that child in trouble. So my kids didn't trust each other and they didn't trust me because my ex had created that dynamic in the family because if we all bonded together to go against him then he no longer has control 
Right. Such a typical dynamic in the narc household, right? Yes. And you're seeing it play out um, during these years. Now you've got three children during these years. Did you ever want to leave him? I did on numerous occasions. The very first time I wanted to leave, I spoke to my mom because we all talked to our moms about everything, right? And my mom's reaction was, a lot of you have kids. You really need to stay in the marriage because of the children. Wow. Yep. And so I sucked it up and I just continued to put up with what I was dealing with. And I just kept pressing on. And the years went by and I was like, you know what? I can't take this anymore. I want to leave again. Mm -hmm. I talked to his mom. This is her son. She should want to help me, right? She wants her son to be a good person. No, same conversation. You're going to destroy the family if you get a divorce. Your kids are going to be children of divorce. You need to find a way to make things work. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And that is a dangerous like lesson, but now you've been told it by the two women figures in your life. And it's almost like, okay, now we're stuck in the book. I remember a part where you were, I don't know if it was the first time you were trying to, you talked to him about leaving, but it like really pissed me off. I wanted to get my boxing gloves out and hit him. And he, he said something about, well, I'll take the kid's furniture. And you're like, what? <laughs> Oh, yes. Yes. That's when he was having an affair. And yes. <laughs> and he couldn't wait to get out of the house. But I wouldn't sign the separation agreement that he developed on his own, which 100% benefited him and left me to fend, with, fend for the three kids on my own. He didn't want to pay me child support. He didn't want to do anything. And he wanted to take all of the children's furniture out of the home and furnish his new apartment so that the kids would want to come see him. That was his reasoning. Oh my God. Yeah. I forgot about the chapters about the girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. 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 And wasn't there jealousy too? He was always suspecting you. He was, he started accusing me of having affairs, of dating my coworkers. If he went to a party with me that was led by one of my coworkers, I was accused of flirting with every male at the party, even though I'm just simply having conversations. And I can see at the party, I could see in his face that I'm gonna hear it on the ride home. And sure enough, as soon as we got into the car, he would lay into me and tell me everything I did wrong and how I was you know, flirting with every man there. And if I wanted to be with such and such, then I just need to tell him, just tell me you wanna be with him, just let me go. Just constant gaslighting all the time. Again, this is, this is so sad, but it's just another cog in the wheel of another way that he was abusing you. So he's waking you up at night. He's demanding sex every day. He's cheating on you. Uh, there was a bathtub that he would go in and drink heavily. Yes. Today. Um, so you, you were dealing with so much stuff. I really give you so much credit for coming out and now helping others. But what you went through is nothing short of torture. I mean, it, it, it is like living torture. And, you know, when your kids are involved and when you've got the fear that he's writing this bogus document and you don't know better, you, you know, you're like, okay, you know, but you didn't sign it, thankfully, but it was all about him and yes. he's cheating and he's got all these people in his life. And I want to talk about the story with your daughter and the, the pinnacle part 
of her really turning on him. So paint the picture. We're out of the house. You've got an apartment. You left him the house. Tell us those details. Yes. Yes. So when I finally, and I think it was my seventh or eighth time after saying, I want to leave, I finally summed up the courage to leave, got out, got an apartment. My oldest child came to live with me, which that was a no brainer. What I did not expect is for my daughter to come and live with me. So we did this time since I was doing the leaving and not him, I had a lawyer drop a separation agreement and we talked about child custody, which basically said the kids would exchange every week between households and the oldest child, which was my daughter, she could decide whether or not she wanted to exchange and which household she wanted to live in. Well, my daughter exchanged two times and she said, mom, I don't want to go over dad's house anymore. I said, okay, well, that's fine because, you know, in our agreement, it says you can choose the household that you want to live in. Mm -hmm. That enraged my ex. And after two months of her not coming to spend the night with him, because it was all about overnights for him, he filed a civil summons citing child custody and parental alienation claims. So he wanted full custody of the kids citing parental alienation. Because it couldn't be him. It had to be you were alienating them. That's exactly right. I had to be alienating the kids from him. Right. And 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 then the part I'm going for is the the mental hospital. Yes. What he did to her again. I could not sleep at night when I read this. I was like, I'm gonna go kill him. And I felt for you guys. But tell us about that little part of the story. Yes. So my daughter was seeing a psychiatrist at the time because she has a high anxiety and high depression. And her psychiatrist is going on vacation. So she said, hey, I don't want to cancel her appointment. I'd like for you to meet with my colleague to get his opinion on, you know, things that we could do differently to help your daughter. So my ex comes in there, new person, new opportunity to, you know, state his claim and get control over the situation. And the doctor started saying, okay, these are the different things that you can try. And, you know, if you have any questions before you leave, just let me know. Well, that was my ex's opportunity to all of a sudden burst out in tears, like full on tears to the point that my daughter and I looked at him like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm just so scared she's going to kill herself. I'm so scared she's going to kill herself. Is there any place we can take her to today? So, of course, the psychiatrist is like, okay, yeah. Let me, let me start looking at some places to get her assessed and see what they say. He found a place that was an hour away. We drove there, had her assessed. They said, no issue, no risk, no concerns. She just needs to continue outpatient therapy. We left there and my ex was boiling. I could tell by the look on his face that it was not over. The next day I get a ton of text messages from him. I'm so concerned about her. I found another place that specifically takes kids and I just wanna get her assessed again. And me, I'm trying to protect my daughter. Hey, she already went to this other facility, no risk. I wanna wait until her regular psychiatrist gets back. The psychiatrist already told you she does not need to be an inpatient facility, outpatient only inpatient could do more harm than good for her. Oh, he couldn't take that as a reason. Oh, I'm just so concerned. And please, please just have her assessed. I'm in the middle of a child custody battle. I didn't want the judge to think that I'm not being amenable 
to working with my ex. So what do I do? I agree to go get her assessed mm -hmm. because I'm thinking, hey, she was sent back home, no risk the night before. She'll be sent back home, no risk again. Mm -hmm. Little did I know, my ex had already had a conversation with the facility. We go there, she gets assessed. She has the same answers that she had at the other facility. Anyone else would say no risk. My ex jumps into the conversation. She has a plan to kill herself and she told me about it. And I think she needs to be admitted. Yes. What did the facility do? Admit my daughter. And during that time, I'm like, I can't believe you're doing this. You know, her psychiatrist said not to do it. And he just kept sitting there signing the papers. And my daughter was in full blown hysteria at this time. He showed zero empathy for her and would not back down from having her admitted. I stepped out of the room to grab my daughter a blanket at one point, and I saw him whispering into her ear. I came back in and asked her what was talked about. He told her that the reason she was being admitted was because I drove her to the facility, totally gaslighting her because she watched everything that happened. She watched the whole process. She watched you lie to the administrators and you signed all the paperwork. That wasn't mom. That was dad. Yeah. But demanding it. He was demanding she gets was, away, almost to teach her a lesson. Like you either come with me. Yes. I have this power over you. That's right. And he had a hundred percent control when she was in the facility. She couldn't call me without his permission. And I couldn't call her without his permission. So he controlled everything. Wow. And how old was she around this time? 16. On a 16 year old, having this happen to them is, is, you it know, was devastating. Mm -hmm. uh, oh my gosh. It was devastating for me. I didn't sleep the two days that she was in there. I didn't sleep at all because my mind was constantly trying to figure out how do I get her out? How do I get her out? What do I do? Right. And she was in danger as well. As I recall in the book, like there were. Yes trying to beat her up yes there was a girl on day one that constantly said she wanted to beat my daughter up and my daughter would tell the administrators hey this girl keeps threatening me and they wouldn't do anything and they kept her and that girl in close contact at all times wow you really have to worry about the mental health situation in our country because that is not appropriate um i know after she was out of the mental hospital um that she declared no more daddy that's how, right how did he take that because this yeah. whole, this whole like last ditch effort was for him to get more control not lose it correct he did not take it well at all mm -hmm. he did not take it well he tried to get her psychiatrist to convince her that she needed to see him she wanted the psychiatrist to force my daughter to see him and she refused because it's not in my daughter's best interest mm -hmm. but my daughter cut him off completely she would not talk to him in person she would not accept his phone calls and she would not respond to any text messages. And that goes on to this day. And I have been, she's been with me since 2019. Wow. Wow. But the next part that I want you to share with us, and I'm sorry, I'm like going, I, I like, this is just so important. And then we'll kind of come back. But w when all this was happening and, and she comes back to you guys, did the children tell you something that you had no idea was going on i did they shared their individual stories of how my ex was abusing them that i had no idea about and it devastated me 
And I blamed myself for staying as long as I did, thinking that I was doing good for my kids when really my kids were struggling and suffering right along with me the entire time. And it was like, you never saw it. I never saw it. He always did it when I wasn't around or I was in the shower. I mean, there were incidents where my daughter said, mom, he used to go into, I call my son, Elijah in the book. He used to go into Elijah's room every night and just berate him and like call him names and shove him up against the wall. And I'm just, I'm listening to her in tears or just coming down my face. Cause I'm like, how did I not know this? Where was I? You were in trauma. I was in trauma and you were dealing with survival every single night and no sleep deprivation, working all day, you know, bringing home the bacon and doing everything that had to be done. And if you needed a shower at the end of the day, that's when he chose to abuse the children when you weren't looking. So again, what we're seeing here is a pattern that so many people think I'll stay for the kids. It's not so bad. I can manage it. I've learned how to manage it, but we don't think about what's happening with the children. And, and here's where I'm just going to insert my husband's sort of abuse to the kid. He loved so much and through great parties, our pinnacle move was what change flip was when we moved to Colorado from Connecticut. Now he didn't have his support system. He didn't have his mommy and daddy. Um, he he was sort of alone. And um, that's when he really flipped. He really started to treat my son differently. Um, he would do things like twist his ear. He would like put his arm behind his back until he twisted him onto the ground. He would yell and scream at him and throw things if he folded the napkins incorrectly. So my son being my son would fold them purposely. Like everyone, one would get a triangle, one would get yeah. a just to like mess with his head and he would get yeah. angry and then he'd twist his arm again. And I went to therapy with him. I think we went about three times to say, you can't do this to my son. I'm the parent. I'm telling you, don't do that. Stop doing it. And um, of course, as every narcissist didn't know what he was then, but every narcissist is like, the therapist said, stop doing that. She's the mother. He's like, no, I'm the stepfather. I get control and blah, 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 blah. And they're like, no, stop doing that. And okay, fine. No more. I'm not going to that therapist anymore. They're nuts. I'm not going. I didn't know what that meant then, but you know, stop the therapy, stop those things. But he was silently in the background, unbeknownst to me. I don't know, I was seeing the twisted arms and fighting with him. And one thing that was really like, I will never forget this day. My son, it was snowing out. We're in Colorado. So it's snowing. We got about two feet on the deck. And my son likes to play with super balls. This is not a super ball, but just on the table. All the, he has a nervous thing. He has to play with something. It's just what he is. And my husband got up, grabbed it from him, wrestled him to the ground and threw it into the snow. And my uh, son was like, maybe nine. He's like, I'll go get it. And he opens the door and he goes running out there in the snow with no shoes on. And my ex locks him out of the house. And this was the domestic violence scene where I'm going, let him in. And I'm trying to push him out of the way. And he's 300 pounds and I'm moving him out of the way. Get out. You have to let me in. You know, and I'm like, run around the house, son, you know, and I'll let you in the, the door. Yeah. me off all the way there, blocking me. I mean, it was like a movie scene. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's a little ball. If this is going to bother you so much, like it just escalated. And, you know, I feel so bad that I didn't protect him. I tried. 
but how can you, how can you do going to what we yeah. do? Right. That's right. Because like you said, we're trying to survive as well. We're trying to protect ourselves as well as our kids. It's just a bad situation all around. So what would you say to parents that are staying for the kids? What's the biggest lesson that you learned? You know, just like me, we learned, oh my God, this was more toxic than I thought. Yes. Your children are suffering right along with you. Staying in a toxic relationship just because of the children is not a wise choice. Your children are being mentally damaged and they're going to need therapy once you leave the relationship. So the longer you're staying in it, you're constantly causing that mentally, mental damage within your children. I describe my kids three ways. My, all three of my kids have experienced trauma. My oldest kid was the fighter. He always fought dad. He always fought back on what dad said. My middle child, she internalized everything. So she ended up with high anxiety and high depression. My third child, he's the pleaser, the baby. He saw how I was treated and how the older two kids were treated. And so he just does whatever dad says. He won't make a decision. He constantly disassociates. He's not, you could be talking to him and he's somewhere else because that's how he learned to deal with the different things that he witnessed in our home. So. Like, again, the kids are seeing the abuse, even though yeah. you're going, it's happening after dark when he starts to yell at me and, and demand sex and, and belittle me all night long. I mean, they probably saw it in the middle of the house, but that was manageable. That was couples. You could get past it. But we think that they're not seeing it, right? But they are. And um, it's also setting, as you just used brilliantly with the three children and the way they internalized it. Their coping strategies for life are being defined by coping strategies versus living life. And, Correct. Um, you know, this is also setting their patterns, you know, thankfully they didn't have someone turn into a narcissist, but they can also turn into, this is the way you treat people. Like they are learning by example that they can belittle someone, that they can yell at someone, that it's okay to do the things that they're doing. And thankfully, neither one of us had that kid come out, but there's a 50-50 shot that being exposed to that is going to, you know, make them go to that dark side. So I want people to understand that this is something that it's a personal decision, but look at it through the lens of what you've heard here from Alana and my story. You know, we're not dumb people. We're smart. We're, we're talented. We, we give everything to the people we love. And yet we were taken if you would we were taken for a ride um and it wasn't a pretty ride and at the other side we're both doing great and having a good life but our children are now byproducts of this it's not byproducts of divorce like your mother-in-law first said you know that was what it's no that's uh, i'd rather than be a byproduct of divorce watching this kind of treatment and and being active players like the stuff and the scars your daughter's gonna have from from that mental institution weekend um she can't repair that he cannot repair that thankfully right we don't want him to but right. time, for her that's always going to stay in her mind it's going to make her not trust men in life it's she's going to have a lot of hurdles in life because of that weekend and that's right yeah. And again, thank God you're there. Thank God you got her in therapy and, and thank God you're going to make changes for her that she doesn't have to see him. I wish many people would put that clause in, 
but most narcissists would be perhaps a little bit more like oh we're not putting that in <laughs> you know sometimes right. slide things in under the under the radar and again children having choice at a certain age it's actually legal in some states like some states it's 12 years old and the kid gets to decide so um you know if it's an abusive situation if that's a great clause if you can get something like that put into the parenting plan that's exactly right yeah your lawyer did good by you for doing that <laughs> He did. I love her to death. I recommend her to everyone. <laughs> I had I had my paralegal coming to my birthday parties for about five years. And um, I went to my lawyer's 4th of July barbecue. I was invited again this year, but it's 15 years later. I don't really need to go to his birthday, his barbecue. But again, they become part of your, your core, like they say. Right. Right. So um, thank you so much for sharing what you have. Everybody, I really suggest go and get was it my fault and alana sharps is here we're gonna we're gonna put her information down below tell people how they can find you they can find me on instagram facebook and my website on instagram i'm at alana sharps for my personal my business is at sir thrive tribe mm -hmm. on facebook i'm also sir thrive tribe and alana sharps author nice look at all those accounts you get to manage what <laughs> yes so much fun <laughs> oh no <laughs> well thank you so much for joining and sharing your story um i i feel for you um but i am so grateful that you wrote this book um again couldn't put it down i feel like there should be a sequel and i want to know what happened next what happened next <laughs> a lot of people have said that <laughs> oh yay well we do know we know you're doing great now and your life is good and the kids life is good um but yeah i'm sure you have it in you it's a brilliant book and thank you for writing it oh thank you so much now we could have talked all day and really given you so many more details as to what exactly happened in her life. We're just getting teeny little snippets here, folks. So don't be sending emails saying, well, why did she stay? Read the book. It's a very big book that's going to describe to you what it was like in her life and her unintended consequences to the children staying. Uh, we just don't think that this is going to happen. We think we're protecting them. And my goal today is to show you that uh, it doesn't always help the kids. You're better to get away and, and be the parent that grounds them than be the parent that lets them see that abuse is okay. My name is Tracy Malone. If you like this video, please subscribe. And um, you can find all of Alana's information down below put the links down there and we will see you again soon. Remember the unexpected consequences of staying when we think the children are going to be okay. It doesn't always happen that way. Thank you.